Hey, what is up, Mile Heart homies? Welcome back to Mile Heart Podcast, episode 116. Today, we are here to talk about the Bruno Borges disappearance. And this is a Brazilian case that I actually covered on my channel a really long years time ago. ago. Like 2000, what was it, 2017? It was at least Maybe a 16. few years ago, yeah. It was one of the first disappearances that I covered. And back when I covered it, Bruno was still missing. Right. But there's a lot that has happened since then. And we kind of wanted to circle back and take another look at this story. And we actually hired a Brazilian researcher this week to help us out since there are so many articles written in Portuguese. And we knew that we were going to have trouble trying to decipher that and make sense of this story. So I think we have a very interesting episode for you guys today. I think you're really going to like this one. He's a very interesting individual and and, uh, yeah, perhaps even an enlightened individual. Mm -hmm. So we'll, Mm -hmm. we'll get into it. But before we do, we want to thank our sponsors for today. We've got Quip, Stamps.com and Postmates. Thank you all for the support. We really appreciate it. But we also have some really interesting news topics this week. Yeah. And I also wanted to remind you guys that we do record our podcast the week before it goes out. So normally we don't have the most up-to-date information on current events. So just a reminder that we are filming this on Friday, May 29th. And anything that happens in these stories after that, you know, we, we don't know about. So Yes, exactly. But the first story we have is about the historic SpaceX launch that was supposed to happen this past Wednesday, Mm -hmm. but literally 20 minutes before it was supposed to launch. And I was watching this live on YouTube. We all were in the kitchen. Oh yeah, we were. Mm -hmm. And yeah, they had to call it off because of weather. Uh, It was really wet and rainy and just not ideal conditions because huge, you know, huge risk trying to take off, you know, with astronauts and in bad weather. And Elon Musk said that if anything goes wrong, this is on me. Yeah, I would feel that way too. And it probably would be put on him in the media for sure. Right. And the reason why this is such a big deal is because SpaceX is expected to become the first private company ever to launch astronauts into Earth's orbit. Its Falcon 9 rocket and Crew Dragon spacecraft uh, are slated to hopefully take off this coming Saturday, May 30th at 3.22 p.m. So if you're watching this, this will be after that. And chances are it's going to get pushed back again because I think the weather forecast doesn't look too good. Right. You guys will know the future. It'll either have launched or probably didn't launch is what we are all guessing just based on the weather report right now. Um, But hopefully it will be taking off soon. It's not going to happen before like next. I mean, when would the next rescheduling be for? I'm not sure, but I'm sure it's going to be like a few days later or something. It's going to you know, launch here in the next week or two at the very latest. It's possible that it will launch before this episode goes out then. Yeah. And so what they're doing is they're launching two crew members, uh, two astronauts named Doug Hurley and Bob Benkin, and they're going to be flying up to the International Space Station. This very, very expensive SpaceX rocket and spacecraft is going to be piloted by NASA pilots Doug Hurley and Bob Benkin. And they're going to be shooting up towards the International Space Station where they'll dock, and then they'll be aboard this International Space Station for an undisclosed amount of time. We're not exactly sure how long they'll be up there for. Um, they haven't quite released that yet. but uh, Probably a long time. Yeah, it's going to be for a while. I mean, that's an expensive launch to mm-hmm. just you know shoot them up there and bring them back. So. Imagine how much that would suck if you had just said goodbye to all of your friends and family, like mentally prepared to leave, packed your bags, said goodbye, and then they're like, never mind, canceled. <laughs> And well, then you got to come back on Saturday and that might be canceled too. And do it all over again. Yeah. 
Well, that's what they had to do. Like we were watching it and, and right before they headed to the actual uh, spacecraft itself, they were, you know, in their suits standing Mm -hmm. out there, giving their families virtual hugs because they can't touch each other. Yeah. uh, Cause you know, got to keep the suit sterile and I want to bring COVID to space. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So the other reason this is a big deal is because it's been a while since we have, you know, launched a a shuttle uh, from the United States soil. In fact, it was in July, 2011 when the Atlanta shuttle took off. Uh, so it's the first crewed mission from American soil since then. And also this is just a big deal because SpaceX is a private company and NASA has been, you know, using them quite a bit in order to, you know, get space travel back up and running. So thank mm-hmm. you, Elon, for that, because we've been using Russian shuttles uh, for a long time. So we're actually using American made shuttles finally. Uh, but yeah, they could be up there for one month to 119 days. We'll just have to wait and see when they uh, finally get up there. But what I think is actually pretty cool about this, you know, a SpaceX shuttle is the technology inside of it. And they have a bunch of touch screens in there versus like, if you look at another shuttle, all the buttons and the little, you know, different things they have to press in order to pilot this thing. This thing actually pilots itself for the most part. And they kind of look at some monitors, just like some computer monitors in front of them. And they're just kind of like monitoring things. So it's kind of like piloting a plane. Yeah, exactly. Like we're kind of making space travel, you know, somewhat of the same thing as Mm -hmm. airplane travel is, which is pretty cool. And this is all thanks to SpaceX and Elon Musk. Ultimately, I think it's so cool that we have someone like Elon Musk that has the money and is putting it towards things that could better society and moving us forward when it comes to things like space exploration. I mean, it's awesome. It really is. And I mean, I feel like the government's done a really poor job of, of, you know, helping us further the, you know, humanity and space exploration, everything. I mean, they keep saying, you know, the white house says, Oh, we're going to go to the moon this time, or we're going to go to Mars at this time. But all that keeps getting pushed off versus like nothing is stopping Elon Musk. No, he will not stop. He's going to keep his businesses going, whether it's Tesla, SpaceX until, you know, he dies. Yeah. And then he's going to send his baby up there. Mm -hmm. (laughs) This is kind of a a little off topic, but it does have to do with Elon Musk. Uh, His, I guess his partner Grimes. Yeah. She is doing this weird thing where, she is selling a piece of her soul to somebody. What? Yeah. Like the as an fuck? art, an art display, like an, I think it's some odd form of artwork where she's literally drawing up a contract from a lawyer and everything to sell or auction off a piece of her soul to somebody. So somebody will literally own a piece of Grimes soul. How, what does that look like? How do you measure that? It's just a piece of paper. What? It's a piece of paper as artwork. I believe that's what it is. Like they're exhibiting, the you certificate would, that somebody buys what? that signifies legally that they own a percentage of her soul. <laughs> Why would someone buy that? Why the fuck? Like that is such a gimmick. Why would someone name their kid the way that they did? <laughs> I don't know. It's just crimes. You named I mean, it after Archangel Mission Twelve, right? <laughs> yeah, after the uh, after a space or a airplane and something mm-hmm. else. Yeah, yeah, it's like a mixture of things. It's very weird. The ash symbol. I saw a funny joke that people think Elon Musk might be like the first world supervillain. Oh, you know, twist. A lot of people see him as a hero, but it does seem like a lot of people see him as a villain. But what if he's just doing all this to just leave us all here on earth and then he's <laughs> going to go like colonize Mars with whoever he Honestly, wants. Honestly, he's so smart that he has the right to do that. If he wants yeah. to do that and that's what he wants to use his genius yeah. brains for <laughs> to send himself and only himself to Mars. Hopefully I'm like, you know what? Should have thought of it first then. <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> <laughs> the other person who could be the, the world's first supervillain is Jeff Bezos. 
Yes. Yeah, he's the supervillain. Mm-hmm. He's nearing a trillion dollars. We've never seen that in history. If somebody that has a trillion dollars. Fucking insane. Like, what the hell? That is so much money to wrap your mind around. That's so much money. And he doesn't do nearly enough with that money, I think. Or no. people will say I'm donation shaming him. But honestly, I don't give a fuck. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I mean, he's got tons of money. He could fix major, major yeah. uh, problems in the world, worldwide mm-hmm. issues mm-hmm. with some pocket change um, yeah. to him. So <laughs> I don't know. Like, if people are going to say you're donation shaming, like, pfft, sorry, yeah. you're a trillionaire. You could be doing a lot more. Exactly. And you would hope that people that do ha- come into money understand how lucky you are to have that opportunity mm-hmm. and use it to spread that to other people mm-hmm. and to help their community especially when you have that much where you're not going to feel it why wouldn't you want to i just don't understand why you wouldn't want to like come forward and be like an elon musk who's doing all these like helpful things Mm -hmm. um and why wouldn't you want to do something really impactful and make a huge difference on humanity he could literally save the world like he could be our savior jeff bezos the savior of the world he becomes god and we all we could all just worship jeff bezos yeah well let's just try and get him to pay his taxes first yeah right maybe focus on that right Right. he might Hmm. not be you know a trillionaire if he was paying taxes that's absolutely true Mm -hmm. that's absolutely true but no, I just I just want to throw that in there because I thought that was interesting. So switching gears here to a much more serious note, um, we wanted to take some time to talk about the murder of George Floyd. I'm sure a lot of you have seen the video. It's gone, you know, viral around the internet, and people should see it because what is what happens in that video is just shocking. It's so upsetting. It's so disturbing that this is still happening, and the country is in an uproar yet again about an officer that killed a black person. Yeah, it's extremely tragic. And before we give you kind of the updates on what's going on with that, I wanted to kind of run through, you know, how this happened Mm -hmm. because the details, right? Exactly. How did we get to this point where George Floyd is murdered by a Minneapolis police officer? So this encounter began on Monday, Memorial day around 8 PM when an employee at the cup foods convenience store called the police to say that a customer who was later identified as George Floyd had tried to use a counterfeit $20 bill to buy cigarettes. Okay. Let's stop right there for a second. Mm-hmm. What the, the fuck? Does that mean he knew it was a counterfeit bill? I don't know, but it's, we're talking a counterfeit $20 bill to buy cigarettes. That's Have they the even proved crime. that it was a counterfeit bill. I don't think it even was. I think it was a legitimate 20, right? So, Police are called to come investigate somebody who might have counterfeit money, which shouldn't be a big deal, right? Mm -hmm. It should, you know, this is not something that requires. Especially a $20 bill. Right. So surveillance, so surveillance video from the restaurant shows the initial encounter between George Floyd and the two officers, Thomas Lane and J.A. Kung. Now, thank God there was surveillance footage. And I think what we're starting to learn is that, you know, whenever you have encounters with police, it's probably smart to record it. And you are allowed to record a police officer's interaction. I Absolutely. Mean, you're you, most of the times you're in public and it's just you're allowed to. So when police actually arrived at Cup Foods, George Floyd and his two companions were still there and they were in an SUV parked across from the store. And then the officers went over there to speak with them. And then George Floyd in the driver's seat was taken into custody and handcuffed. Now, there's a lot of contention between what people actually witnessed and what the officers are saying happened. They're saying that George Floyd resisted them uh, detaining him essentially. 
which from the video, I can't really tell, mm-hmm. you know, obviously I think anybody's going to be upset if they're being, you know, pulled out of their car yeah. and handcuffed without done nothing wrong, understanding why. And I, I think that's often gets misconstrued or cops use that as an excuse in order to kind of up the level of mm-hmm. physicality against somebody. That's necessary. Uh, right. They them. start saying you're resist, stop resisting, stop resisting. And mm-hmm. cause that allows them to escalate their tactics and get more aggressive with him. So, you know, but he goes into to custody without incident from what I could see. I mean, he mm-hmm. clearly was like kind of moving around, like what's going on? Like explain mm-hmm. to me why you're putting me in cuffs. Cause the cops just went over and talked to, the store owner and the store owner was like, Hey, here's what happened. So the cops are just, I, I hate when cops don't explain to people what they're actually being detained for. Seriously. They just say, I'm detaining you. I'm detaining you, which also means you're putting cuffs on somebody. And most people assume that they're going to get arrested if the cuffs are going on them. Mm-hmm. And legally a cop is allowed to detain you, but they need to tell you what they're detaining you for. I mean, you can't just throw somebody in cuffs without telling them and you know, have no, them sit around absolutely all day. Not. So, he gets handcuffs and then the officers have him sit on the sidewalk for a short time and then they walk him across the street to where their squad car was parked along with two other officers that had recently arrived. Now, the surveillance video does not show what happened across the street where the officers asked George Floyd to get in the squad car, but the district attorney's report cites that the account given by police was Mr. George Floyd did not voluntarily get into the car and struggle with officers by intentionally falling down saying that he was not going to get into the car and refusing to stand still. We've seen this before on like live Mm -hmm. PD and things like that. Like I've seen this in real life too. And you know, for those that don't know, I I actually wanted to be a police officer back in high school. Mm -hmm. And I went through sort of a mini police Academy, learned quite a bit about it. And I've been on like 15 ride alongs with local departments here in Colorado. So I've seen a lot of shit actually. Mm -hmm. And from what I've seen, you know, and from what we see on the video, uh, you know, it looks like he did go to the ground maybe in a refusal to get into the car cause he's probably frustrated. But at the same time, this officer, Derek Shavin, he has now got him on the ground instead of trying to get him back up and mm-hmm. back into the car. Right. You know, he's on the ground kind of being like, what's going on and stuff talking. And, you know, Derek Shavin decides to put his knee down onto George Floyd's neck, which was completely unnecessary. Absolutely unnecessary mm-hmm. because a, he's already in cuffs. He's on his stomach. So he's not even in a position where he can flee mm-hmm. or he can fight. So he's pretty much helpless at that point. And this officer is just kind of sitting there with his full weight. weight of his body on, on his neck with his knee. And the longer you're putting pressure on something, the easier it is to put more and more pressure on it. Like eventually by the end of that, you know, what was it? Eight, nine minutes yes. he was on him. By the end of that, the pressure must have been so intense because your body like keeps leaning and leaning. No, you're absolutely right. And from the video, it literally looks like he has his entire body weight. And that guy probably weighs, you know, close to 200 pounds. So mm-hmm. 200 pounds of force going down onto George Floyd's neck. George Floyd is like, I can't breathe, you know, clearly showing that he's in pain. And this is when we got the video of the bystanders that were filming this, which is so smart. I mean, film everything these days because, you know, have evidence so that, you know, when you, you know, the district attorney goes and tries to just brush everything under the rug, you can go to them and be like, look, we have physical evidence that shows that this is what this officer was doing. Mm -hmm. Police brutality for sure. Because obviously think about how many cases there have been of similar situations where it just wasn't filmed and no one was there to see it. That's very true. There's been tons of cases that Mm -hmm. are not filmed. And 
still, I can't believe there's some departments out there that don't have body cams and don't have. I know that should be absolutely required by now. That should just be a a national law. I feel like at this point that everything should be recorded. Every interaction with police should be recorded. Were the officers in this case wearing body cams? Okay. So that footage has not been released. It it has been released actually. Yeah. Yeah. It just recently got released, but it doesn't really show us anything new per se because it's coming from, you know, their perspective. So question in the police academy, I'm not sure if you know this or if it depends based on the department, but I have seen them like on, like you said, on live PD, which is the closest I get to any serious action is them, you know, putting their knee on someone sometimes to get like a hold of them, get control of them. Is that something they learn in academy to yeah. do that? Yeah. It's a tactic to use in order to get a suspect into handcuffs. But so you're not supposed to just sit there on them, no, right? No, no, no. And you're not supposed to put your whole body weight into it. It's kind of just, it's a way to like have a third arm in a way. Yeah. It's a tactic in order Hold when you're them. trying to put cuffs on somebody, and especially if you're by yourself and it's one-on-one, which this scenario is not like that. Right. There's, four There's four officers there. Mm-hmm. They can't handle this one guy. Ridiculous. Like that's, that's what's crazy to me is that it can be, I can understand it more in a situation where it was one-on-one and he was actually fighting the officer, which there's absolutely no evidence that he was fighting or resisting. So the fact that he went to this level of force makes absolutely no sense. And I think most cops out there would, would agree with me and say, this was just extremely excessive. And not only that, when your person that you have in your custody is starting to say, I can't breathe, Mm -hmm. I'm in pain and all these things that are clearly signifying an issue. It's your job as a first responder and as a police officer to render aid to that that person, doesn't matter who they are. And the fact that he just completely ignores George Floyd the entire time, has this kind of smug look on his face. Yeah. Clearly, I think he clearly knows what he's doing because yes, I agree. the guy's been on the force for almost 20 years. Mm-hmm. So he's probably done this a lot. Cl- yeah. And he's already been complained about many times. There's cases of him for excessive uh, force. Yeah. 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 And we'll go through more of what he's done in the past, but. Yeah, so it's just a complete, utter case of extreme police brutality, mm-hmm. and which resulted in the murder of him. I mean, he mm-hmm. died as a result of the injuries sustained by Derek Chavin. And so that's what everybody was upset about, is the fact that clearly George Floyd would not have died if Derek Chavin had just taken his knee off of him, yeah. gotten him up, put him in the car, mm-hmm. get the ambulance there sooner. Treating him with an ounce of respect, especially since this was over a $20 bill. What the fuck? That's what's crazy. It's the same type of thing with Eric Gardner. Remember that? It was like a cigarette or something like that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's some bullshit that gives these officers an excuse to get physical with these suspects. You know, it's 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 a power trip. It's just thing. absurd. Yeah which I don't understand because police officers have tons of equipment, thousands of dollars of equipment that they're mm-hmm. wearing at all times in order to help them, you know, get someone detained if, if they're, if they're not cooperating, which was not the case here. This is, I'm not even comparing it to what George was doing, but let's just say that in a scenario where there's someone being detained and they're acting up, not, you know, mm-hmm. not allowing them to do what they need to do. Mm-hmm. Like you have so many other options. Why mm-hmm. can't you tase them and then place them in the car? Like yeah, that is so many, what other is the need to be do. using your knee to, you know, I understand at you know, some point to kind of get someone under control right. again, not in this case, but 
in general, why, why can't you use what the tools that you've been given? There's absolutely no excuse for it other than just being evil and possibly having a personal vendetta against George. And now they're starting to look at that. And I'm not sure what will come out by the time that this podcast goes up. Maybe there'll be more about this, but they're looking that he possibly could have known him and had something against him or has a racial bias, which I think is probably, I think most of us are thinking that at this point, he seems completely racist. I mean, who the fuck does that? Would he have done that to a white person? No, no, no. And if you say otherwise, you're being ridiculous. Well, they just came out and said that George Floyd and this Derek Chavin guy worked at the same nightclub. Like Derek Chavin was an off duty officer who worked outside. And apparently George Floyd was security inside because mm. George Floyd was six foot six. He's a big guy. And so, you know, like to Janelle's point, they have a lot of tools. That's exactly why they wear those belts. It's a mm-hmm. bunch of tools on their belt. Right. And in this case, it would be a totally different story if it was even a one on one type situation. You know, that that's a lot harder to judge because one on one, it's totally different story. But when you have four officers, what I didn't understand is that there was the officer that was literally standing right in front of Derek Chavin and George Floyd, Mm -hmm. just literally doing nothing and just Just standing there and trying to block the view of the bystanders cameras too. he even tried to move over and block the bystanders filming them because he knew probably what was happening. I mean, I can't imagine he didn't know that Derek Chavin had his knee on his neck this entire time. Like that's what I don't get to. And why I understand why people want, you know, these other officers held responsible because they stood by and let their coworker Mm -hmm. kill this guy when it was completely unnecessary. I really worry that they won't get the other three won't get any type of charges legally. I'm concerned that that's probably going to be the outcome. The fact that there's only been one officer charged out of four that were involved in the incident. Mm -hmm. It's like, something's not adding up. Why are the other three that were just standing there watching this happen why are they not having you know facing charges as of now they should face some type of charge right well i think the thing about is a they already lost their jobs which is absolutely the right move because Mm -hmm. it's also your job as a police officer to police the police i mean that's Mm -hmm. you're you're required to make sure that other people you're working with aren't committing a crime Mm -hmm. and And that you're protecting citizens first. You take an oath. Literally when you get out of the Academy, you go take an oath. I'm going to protect your community citizens, Mm -hmm. protect and serve all that. Mm -hmm. And when you fail at that, absolutely you lose your job. I think the hard thing here for, you know, the district attorney and the prosecutors is that how do we, you know, what charges do we give them? You know, like how complicit in this are they? And, you know, is there enough evidence beyond a reasonable doubt to Mm -hmm. convict them of these charges? That's, that's the tough situation here. So in Derek Chavin's case, and we saw, you know, riots and protesters Mm -hmm. and literally Minneapolis burning to the ground Mm -hmm. uh, since Monday. And just today on Friday, they arrested Derek Chavin and charged him with manslaughter and third degree murder. Which people are really upset that it's third degree. People think that it should be higher. And I agree. I think it should at least be second. I understand that there is, it's not just as easy as putting that on them. And then that's, you know, what they end up being sentenced for and charged with. It's harder than that. Obviously you need to go for, if you go too far, like if they were to push for first degree, it's possible he could just get off. Right. So I understand why there's some hesitation, but I don't understand why it's not enough for second degree. So to explain simply, you know, the differences between first degree, second degree, and third degree, first degree murder, there has to be intent and premeditation there. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that would mean that he would have to have gone into that incident knowing 
that he was going to kill George Floyd. Right. Now, looking at the evidence, it's going to be hard to prove, I think, that he yeah. came into this. Unless they find other he evidence woke up that day. later yeah. that proves that, I think first degree is going to be tough to go mm-hmm. go for. And two... Very hard to right. get through court. Exactly. And second degree murder is you know, without premeditation, but there has to be intent to kill. So that would mean proving that Derek wanted to kill him and intended to kill him that day. Well, I think that's possible. And they said that they're going to revisit charges. It's possible it could be changed by the time this episode even goes up. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, because they are starting to stuff is coming out about their possible relationship. And there'll be more people that talk. If there's people that know both of them, they'll be like, oh yeah, they knew each other. Or I mean, I have no idea as of right now. Obviously, I'm just speculating, but I think there's a chance that maybe they can go for a second degree because if it's third degree, he can only get a maximum of 25 years and that's just not enough. Right. And I, of course, the family wants life in prison. Yeah, and many absolutely. People Why wouldn't you? In prison for this. He murdered him. Why wouldn't you want someone to get? I mean, any victim that we cover, the family normally wants mm-hmm life in prison or death penalty even. Why wouldn't this family want that? It's no different. He did, He went out to be with friends, to what was he, getting cigarettes, hanging out. He Just a normal day. Right. And he was just murdered. And that just, this speaks to a much larger issue that has been going on for a very long right. time. And just, you know, and I've seen it firsthand, racial profiling, like mm-hmm. the, in the academy, they absolutely teach you like racial profiling is a no-no, but many officers, which I rode with all white officers too. And I know a hundred percent that they racially profile people and I would be with them in the car and they'd be like, all right, let's pull over this guy. Cause mm-hmm. you know, he looks like he's up to something. And of course it's mm-hmm. like, you know, a car with a bunch of, you know, young black dudes in it. And you know, we pull them over and then it's just like this long, you know, they just assume, you know, that they're so going to, they have all these mm-hmm. things or they have weapons or whatever. And then, you know, ends up, they're just rolling around like anybody else, but because they're black, they're getting pulled over more often. I mean, just look at the statistics out there, right? Black people are pulled over far more than white people are. Yeah, and, it just cannot be denied. Right. And obviously not every officer is like that. We know there's some great police officers out there and we're really lucky to have a lot of them, Yes, but there's a real big problem with how often this is happening. It's just happening way too much. And we have to figure out a solution because... And what is that solution, though? What does that look like? How is this going to change? Does that mean, like you were talking about the other night, more community policing? Well, yeah, that's... I think that's a huge point. Right. And this is something that we need to come back to because this is where policing started with community policing, where the people that are patrolling your neighborhoods live in your neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. And therefore, you know them, you trust them. And more often than not, they're friends of yours. Mm-hmm. And... We've and gone, they care about their community genuinely, right. genuinely not right. just feel like they're on some type, like they're just the on boss the of them. Yeah. Right. They see them as they, they're here to protect them, not to control them and right. hurt them. Well, and that's the, that's the problem we're having is that more often than not, especially in communities of color or more diverse places like Minneapolis, I've actually been there and uh, I did some mission work there a long time ago, but it's a very, very diverse place. They have a huge, uh, Muslim population there, a large African-American population there. And so you would expect to find, you know, mostly Mm -hmm. African-American officers working there, Mm -hmm. but that's just not the case. And I I think, you know, a lot of African-American people are just, you know, are turned off by the police. So therefore they don't want to kind of become a part of them because it is kind of has this stigma to it to be a police officer at this point. So 
we've got to reverse the whole, mm-hmm. you know, we kind of got to wipe the plate clean and start fresh. And I think community policing is a great place to start because you put the people that live in those neighborhoods and know those neighborhoods or grew up in those neighborhoods and are from, you know, are from, you know, that background into positions of law enforcement. And I guarantee you see far less incidents like this versus you have an, you know, an all black neighborhood or predominantly black neighborhood and you have a bunch of white cops rolling around that can't relate to anybody, have no idea who they're dealing with and just are racially profiling everybody. And that's when you end up with incidents like this and it's got to stop. We have to figure it out because this is, you know, 2020 in America and we're still dealing with the shit. Like, I mean, if nothing changes, people are going to burn down every city in this country until it does. If this keeps happening, this is unacceptable. This and nothing else is working. I think that police departments are literally going to have to require that they have so many people of color. They have, you know, and they yes. really like. And major diversity training. They need a complete redo of like the academy of what they teach and how serious they, they need to make it so clear to officers that if you kill someone, you better have a fucking good reason for it. What and, the hell is this guy? What was he thinking? What was possibly going through his mind to be on him for that long? He's not thinking, and I think what we've seen too is it's a lot of officers who've been out there for a long time, and so they've just been doing things their way for a long time, and uh-huh. nobody get like a confidence boost. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely, because I've been doing this for twenty years, and this I'm is how this I person. I always am on. super aggressive with people, and you know this Derek Shavin dude has shot a few people before, um, and without very good reason either. So mm-hmm. he has excessive force complaints against him. So he's kind of been a menace for a long time. And yeah, I want to read some stuff about him. Hang on one second. Pull this up. I saw this so circulating on social media and it really explains this guy. So here are a few quick notes about Derek Chauvin. He was put on leave in 2011 for an inappropriate police shooting of an Alaskan Native American named Leroy Martinez. He also shot Ira Latrell Tolis who was an unarmed black 21 year old man in 2008. So he has a fucking history. This is why I feel like they can go for a second, second degree. And the last one is he was also one of the officers who murdered Wayne Reyes, who was a Latino man who had 16 bullets forced into him, a total of 42 rounds. Okay. So this guy has a major history and they should absolutely go for a second degree if not higher, maybe they can go for first. I don't know. And I think that that history just plays into my whole fact and whole idea that he is used to being like this. Yeah. He, he, you know, over the years he's just gotten more and aggressive and doesn't give a fuck and just mm-hmm. knows that he can push, you know, continue pushing without having anything happen to him. And how can the department let someone like that continue to work for them? They should be held responsible in some way. Well, and, and, you know, the policy for pretty much every department is, is anytime there's an officer involved shooting, you're put on uh, administrative leave while they go and review the incident to see if it was justified or not. And it, there better be good ass justification for shooting somebody. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you that shooting somebody definitely fucks you up in the head. And it's, it's definitely can create PTSD. It can create issues in the brain that, if not dealt with and you know, a lot of officers are go right back out to work and you, you know, that might start becoming normal for you to shoot somebody or you might get trigger happy. So I, I think it just speaks to a, 
a larger issue with the mental health of our officers and making sure that we are getting mentally stable people in there to be police officers in the first place. Mm -hmm. And that after events like this, that we're really evaluating them and seeing, you know, how did this affect them and not just throwing them back out on the street to go back out there and do it all over again. That's a good point. I do think though, this guy, I mean, he clearly has a deep rooted racist side to him. I mean, every one of these events is some, is a minority. He clearly has proven that he has something against people of color. Right. Yeah. So I don't know how much it's PTSD or any of that. I think this guy's a bad fucking apple and he should have been taken out immediately. And what I've seen too, is just like, there's far too many, you know, white guys that are out there that are literally like scared of black people. And so Mm -hmm. officers, they're, they're just cowards. They're absolutely cowards. And rather than being a man and, and, talking face to face and dealing with a situation, you know, like a man, they're pulling their gun out. And, Mm -hmm. you know, and I saw so many videos after this that of people posting like incidents with officers where they're just like getting crazy and aggressive for no reason, because, you know, the slightest bit of, Mm -hmm you know, resistance and they go full force. It's on like them. their anger right. gets to them. It and like they, triggers they them. They completely lose all of their professional. Yeah. The professionalism yeah, goes out right. the window and then they just start treating everybody like a scumbag. And so disappointing it is. So I don't know. We'll have to, I don't know how this is going to play out exactly. I hope he's convicted of this and goes to jail for life. And you know, at least that's something that is positive that comes out of this for the family. But I don't know. I think we need bigger action here. Yeah. We will go ahead and leave petition links in the description box for you guys, as well as donation links for George Floyd's family, for their justice fund, as well as a fund for people that are protesting and being detained. Yep. Cause it should be our right to protest. And you know, the fact that they're trying to mm-hmm. stop us from doing that is, is crazy too. Seriously. But let's go ahead and get into the disappearance of Bruno Borges. Very interesting case here. But before we do, we'd like to thank our sponsors for today. Okay, so let's go ahead and get into the disappearance of Bruno Borges. Bruno Borges was 24 years old when he went missing on March 27th, 2017. That's right around the time I made my video because I saw this little like one minute clip going really viral. Remember there's like square videos that were for, for like yeah. Instagram and Facebook that yeah, kind of like those. tell news stories. Right. It was That's like how you one saw of it, those. Huh? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I've got to show this on my YouTube channel. And he was still missing when I did that video, but there's a lot to cover now. Yeah. And it's not like your typical, you know, missing person. No, case this, this isn't is, really a true crime case. Yeah. It's hard. I don't know. Kind of. There's no real actual crime that gets committed. But he went this, missing. But, yes. Could be yeah. potentially a true crime case, but yeah. Well, actually, let's just tell you about it so you can be the judge. It's of that. more paranormal. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. But anyways, so Bruno Borges is this Brazilian guy, and he's definitely not your average Joe. That's for sure. He is a very deep individual, and he really—I mean—he would honestly like our show because he loves to, you know, ponder about the universe and mysteries, and you know, what's the meaning of life? Why are we here? Uh, these were all questions that he found extremely interesting and was definitely seeking out the answers to. And he was a psychology student actually at the time. Um, and he is definitely a very intellectual person and was really, really interested in the occult and philosophy. Now, when we say the occult, I just want to sort of clarify, clarify what that means. Cause I think a lot of people automatically assume the occult was something negative 
And that's just so far from the truth. Uh, occult actually means hidden or secret, hidden, hidden knowledge, secret knowledge. Uh, oftentimes, uh, esoteric ideas, things like that are all looped into the occult. Specifically, when you look at, you know, ancient knowledge from Egypt and, you know, we, I think we've talked a little bit about uh, some of these different topics uh, revolving around the occult, but he was definitely very interested in ancient knowledge, mm-hmm. uh, philosophers and things like that. So he would just spend like all of his time reading books and pouring over this information, trying to, you know, gain this knowledge himself. Super, super smart guy. And his family consisted of his mother, Denise, who is actually a psychologist. So interesting. He's kind of following in his mother's footsteps uh, to become a psychologist himself. And then his father, Athos, uh, owned an events company. Athos is such a cool name. Isn't it? Athos. Very cool name. Powerful. Mm hmm. And he also had a twin brother named Rodrigo. And I believe he has another brother, uh, but I could not find his name. Because, again, this case is like primarily reported in Brazilian or Portuguese. Sorry. And so it's hard to actually find any American articles because I don't even know if like any American news sources actually really covered this at all. No, they really did it. Like I said, it was like Buzzfeed and a few little like online Internet type news agencies. Right. It definitely wasn't picked up by CNN or anything. No, 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 no. And I can kind of see why because yeah, because yeah, Mm -hmm. we'll explain why here in a sec. But the family and Bruno live in Rio Branco Acre, which is the state in Brazil which on a map, if you look at that, it's kind of on the northwestern side of Brazil. So definitely in the foresty Amazon region of the country. And uh, yeah, it looks like a pretty cool place. The, mm-hmm. the river runs through it. But the river runs through it. Isn't that the name <laughs> of like a famous book? Yeah, so a river <laughs> runs through it. Yeah. You like that little drop there? Yeah. Brazil does look beautiful though. I mean, it's a very cool I'd country. Love I would love to, to visit. visit. Mm-hmm. The Amazon before that's burnt down. I'd like to go take a tour yeah, of that. I know. God. But yeah, it's a, it's a we very. We can even travel ever again. I know, right? Ugh, the world's so depressing right now. <laughs> anyway. <It is>. Anyways, <laughs> our story with Bruno kind of begins back in 2013. And Bruno was talking to his mother about this project that he's mm-hmm. working on mm-hmm. and kind of hinted it to her that he wanted to devote all of his time and pretty much his life to the secret project that he was working on that he could not tell anybody about. Now, as a mother, how do you react to that? If your son comes up to you and says, mom, I'm going to be working on a secret project. Do not ask me about it. Do not ask me to explain what it is, but just know that it's, I'm working on something secret. That's going to change the world. What do you think as a mother? Well, Initially I'd be like, you go like, go for it. That's great. But then I feel like I'd probably step in, like with the extent that he was going into it, like he was getting like very unhealthily obsessed with all of this. Yeah. He was definitely consumed by mm-hmm. this work that he was doing. Uh, Cause even at this young age, he had already written five books mm-hmm. in which he tried to get one of them published uh, or patented. I think they, the translation goes from patented to published, mm-hmm. but he was trying to get a book published and he had already created this theory um, that you know, a philosophical theory that he wanted to get out there to the people, but he couldn't for whatever reason. But this new project he was working on, he needed money for. And so he went to his mother and and was like, Hey, can I get some money for this? I need like several thousand dollars for this. And obviously his mom's been like, for what? Like, I'm not going to give you this money unless you tell me what for Mm -hmm. Bruno's mom said, no money for you, but I will let you take a year off of school 
and work in order to work on this, which to me makes me feel like she knew at least somewhat of an idea of what maybe he was working on. Don't you think like it's quite possible? And I mean, you know, your own kid, right? She mm-hmm. probably knew how philosophical and like kind of what yes, he was into. Maybe absolutely. she didn't understand to a full extent what exactly he was doing, but I think she just like wanted to support her son right. who she feels like is really smart. Clearly, you know, spends tons of time learning about stuff that she doesn't understand and wants to kind of respect him to some extent. No, that's absolutely right on the spot. I think, I think they, from a child, I mean, this kid is very, very smart, read tons and tons of books He's not just like some teenager goofing around, like making a band or something. He was taking it really seriously. And she knew that about him. Yeah. Yeah. Like he was, you know, not just talking the talk. He was walking the walk. Absolutely. (laughs) Bruno was walking the walk. I think she believed in her son in a way. Absolutely. And what's interesting is like Brazil is, there's a lot of uh, Catholic people there. And this family was Catholic. Mm -hmm. But Bruno is definitely not that. And he is exploring uh, a lot of different types of spiritual beliefs and ideas which we'll talk about more here in a second. So Bruno's looking for money for his project. So he ends up going to his cousin and apparently he tells his cousin enough about his project in order to get him to fork over roughly 6,500 us dollars or 20,000 Brazilian reals. I mean, that's a lot of money. That's a decent amount. I mean, yeah. you'd have to give him a pretty good reason. And mm-hmm. what I think he did is he ended up showing him one of the books that he was working on and said, Hey, like you're contributing to a really great project that could potentially change the world. And his cousin and his cousin was like, absolutely, Bruno, here you go. Yeah. It just I shows you his you. family believed in him. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very close family. So then in March of 2017, his parents go on vacation for about 20 days. That's a nice long vacation. Damn, yeah. Yeah. Well, other cultures really value vacation a lot more. They do. Than we, they America. do. Yeah. yeah. What's that film that we watched by, by Michael Moore? Oh, uh, it's Where really to good. Invade next. Oh, it's very so good, good. Very good movie because it really kind of opens your eyes to all the, the better world parts of the world. Yeah. How other countries do things mm-hmm. is so different from how we do and what they value. Right. You know, our society is so much about work, 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 mm-hmm. work, grind mm-hmm. for that paycheck. But yeah, most people don't even have 20 days to take off from their jobs. No, if, no. if any, you're lucky to get two weeks. Yeah. <sighs> you're lucky. In some places that. it's none or less mm-hmm. than that. So yeah, that's a nice vacation. Definitely nice vacation. So while his parents are away on vacation, Bruno decides that this is the perfect opportunity to set his plan into motion and to transform his room. And we're not talking (laughs) a spring clean in here. It's not like an extreme makeover home edition. It's (laughs) a very drastic change, a intense remodel. Yes. Which takes roughly 22 to 24 days to complete. Mm -hmm. And he called it a masterpiece when he was done. Dude, it is. It is a masterpiece. This thing is. is insane. Do we have a video clip? We do have a video clip of his room, which I'll show you here in a sec. But I wanted to note that he would not allow anybody into his room while he was working on it. He'd mm-hmm. keep it locked in. Oftentimes his siblings said that he would lock himself in there all day, all night, except for to come out to eat real quick and then go back in. I mean, for him to have completed this by himself in 24 days, it makes sense. I mean, this thing is insane. It is insane. So after the 24 days pass, his parents had returned from vacation and they're like wondering, you know, what's going on in his room, but he hasn't revealed anything to them yet. But then March 27, 2017 rolls around and this day starts out like any other day for the family. They actually all met up and had lunch that day. And then after they had lunch, which I think was around noon or so, his parents' relatives go back to work 
and Bruno takes the fuck off. Mm-hmm. And he's only wearing a t-shirt and shorts that day. And apparently, according and according to his siblings, Bruno took off with his clothes on his back, mm-hmm. a the backpack, back. and a hard drive. So Bruno takes off, walks about half a mile or so before he calls a cab and a taxi picks him up and takes him to this motel. Now, he never actually went into this motel, and according to the taxi driver, he was on the phone with somebody talking specifically about the location that he was going to. Because interesting enough, what we find out is that behind this motel, in a foresty area, there is a circle of chairs, four white chairs and a red chair, uh, just in this kind of little clearing area where many people say that rituals take place or shrines or, you know, just sort of spiritual gatherings Mm -hmm. take place like moon circles, drum circles, things like that too. Some Bohemian Grove type shit here, you know? Yeah. Well, somewhat, I mean, different things, (laughs) right? There were some non, you know? Yeah. 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 It's not like all nefarious activity here. Like it could be just a prayer circle to people use it for various reasons. Right. So he takes off his parents come home and his father specifically comes home later that day from work and he's like, where's Bruno? Mm-hmm. Bruno's nowhere to be found. Gone. And that's when his dad opens Bruno's door and walks in <laughs> and sees the masterpiece that Bruno's left behind. He, I would have like passed out if I saw that. Seriously. I'd be like, wait, am I dreaming? Is yeah, this I'd be like, an alternate what? reality? What am, am I, I walking into? Am I tripping into? right now? Yeah. This room is insane. So let's show you the room, actually, and I'll explain uh, what is in the room to those that are listening so that you can have some idea of what it what it looks like. Because You can just do a quick search for, you know, Bruno Borges' room. Yeah, or just watch our episode on YouTube. Yeah, uh, that's We'll true. include the clip in there for you to see. So his dad opens the door. Boom. Damn. Entire room so transformed. Shook. Furniture all gone. Doesn't even look like a bedroom anymore. It's centered around a giant statue, like a white statue. And there's geometric drawings all over the walls that are very symmetrical and clean and perfect, along with tons of writing on the wall, just like really small, perfect script. Oh yeah, that creepy guy like holding a candle. And then, yeah, just tons of script. Tons of writing. Yeah, code, in fact. It's not just, you know, like Portuguese written everywhere. Everything is written in this code. And it's on the ceiling, it's on the walls, on the floor. It doesn't even look like a bedroom at all. No. It looks like a lab or something. I don't (laughs) even know what it looks like. It's crazy. You'd almost think someone was just locked in here and went crazy and just did all this. Yeah, it kind of looks like a museum exhibit. Yeah. Like the way that he laid this out looks like, it he, does look like an museum. exhibit. Like you walk in, you you know, look at all of these books that he's written laid out in a row, 14 different books he's got laid out, thick ass books too. Yeah. I mean, the amount huge. of work that went into this room is insane. Mm-hmm. I mean, clearly he spent 22 days locked yeah. in there doing this. This isn't a little project. This is a life's mission. Right. So the statue that we mentioned is a pretty much a life-size statue of an Italian philosopher by the name Giordano Bruno. And this guy is Bruno's, you know, same name there, but Bruno idolizes this guy and 
much of the things that are written all over the room have to do with this philosopher. Mm-hmm. Now, the 14 books that I mentioned are extremely organized with how they're laid out because mm-hmm. he's got Roman numerals on each of them and they're mm-hmm. one through 14 laid out in a row. So he's got all of these things written out. There's code. Everything's in code, so you can't even understand it by first look at it. Uh, but what's interesting is that the family starts searching through the room because they're like, what the hell is this? And they end up finding... Uh, the keys to the code in order to start trying to decipher what's in the books. Uh, Cause at first glance, you can't make sense of what's in them at all. Um, and he's got all these crypt- cryptic, you know, drawings and diagrams everywhere. And his family has no idea, you know, what is going on or what is all this information he's put in there. They must've been so confused. Yeah. Can you imagine? Like, no, be like, what the hell did you do now, Bruno? <laughs> But the best thing of all and my favorite thing in the room is the beautiful painting he has of him with an alien standing behind him yes. with a hand on his shoulder. And they're and both wearing robes. he looks like Mark Zuckerberg in the picture. <laughs> Mark Zuckerberg? <laughs> yeah, he does. Does he not? Kind of, I guess. I think he does. <laughs> Did he paint that himself too? I don't think so. Is he, I mean, I think he had somebody paint that for him. I was going to say like, how artistic is he? Oh, I know. So talented. Mm -hmm. But what do you think as a parent when you walk in and see that and you consider their background and stuff? Obviously they know Bruno's a little bit different than everybody else. So on top of him being gone. Yeah. And then you see this, Mm -hmm. be so confused. You wouldn't even be able to like process what was going on. Right. So a lot of the things, there's just so much cryptic writing everywhere as well as diagrams. And from what you can gather from the diagrams, it has to do with new age thought and esoteric ideas and even conspiracies. He was definitely into conspiracies as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, there's a bunch of different symbols that can be found in there. There is a triangular diagram that might be a pyramid of initiation, which is how some conspiracists view the elite power structure. We've talked about this before. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And then there's also Metatron's cube in there, which is a concept in sacred geometry. He had tons of sacred geometry in there. And even around the statue, he had a yeah, uh, some type of sacred geometry around it. I believe it has more meaning to that, but mm-hmm. um, we, we really don't know what, what it means uh, because he is deep, deep into you know this philosopher and this occult knowledge that he's been seeking. Let's talk about this statue for a minute. So the statues of Giordano Bruno, and he is a very, very interesting individual. Um, he was a individual that lived from 1548 to roughly 1600. And he was an early on believer of extraterrestrials, which is interesting. I know. Imagine at that time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's the thing at that time. Definitely was had to be brave to, you know, yeah. especially speak about that or, or believe in that at all yeah they can definitely kill you if you were to believe in extraterrestrials or you were into the occult in any way exactly yeah so he was born in naples italy and he was a catholic priest a dominican monk a philosopher a hermeticist a cabalist a mathematician and astronomer and what's interesting is that he was also into astrology and his mm-hmm. cosmology went well beyond the copernican model by proposing that the sun was merely a garden variety star and moreover, that the universe contained an infinite number of worlds populated by intelligent alien beings. Imagine oh, really saying that statement in 1570. Or yeah, 15. seriously, people would be like, what the like, fuck? You are the devil. Yeah, they'd be like, you are possessed. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Lucifer's got 100%. a firm hand on you there, Giordano. So, yeah, I mean, he, he's a very interesting person. He had a very, he believed in uh, a lot of the ancient uh, mystics and things like that. He definitely a believer in magic um, or the knowledge of the science of nature. And he believed in merging science and magic together. Um, and that would allow you to explore the universe more fully and give you some type of mastery over it, which is really interesting. So with beliefs like that, uh, definitely a very dangerous time to be alive because he actually died by being burned at the stake in the late 1500s uh, by the Roman Catholic Church for what he believed. The reason why Bruno Borges really liked this philosopher is because he shared you know, many of the same beliefs as him. Mm-hmm. And he also believed that they looked very similar in appearance, so much so that he believed he was the reincarnated version of this philosopher. I think that's very interesting. And if you do look, they look similar. But it's hard to say. I mean, this is a really old drawing. It's hard to say exactly what he looked like. No, it's not a photograph. We don't really know what he looked like. But um, he does look like him. Like, look at the nose. Yeah. And the eyebrows. They do look very similar. The mouth shape, even like the lips, the shape of the lips. So I could see why he may have thought that. And mm-hmm. I mean, if you have some type, I mean, don't you think that some people are reincarnated previous, like great individuals? Wouldn't their spirit live on possibly and continue like their knowledge and power in a way? Does yeah. that make sense? My question about reincarnation is, do you incarnate, into this world only or could you be incarnated into another world in the universe like because if you think about the chances of that wouldn't you think that if you lived one life here on earth that your next life would probably not be on earth it might be somewhere else yeah possibly not on maybe another world. maybe bruno the original giordano dano giordano giordano <laughs> giordano <laughs> i am the worst with names i like that though giordano giordano So what if he went to another universe and has been in a parallel universe? What if you are reincarnated in a way and then you go back to earth later on? Could be, could be how it works. And maybe he came back as Bruno Borges. Maybe. I mean, they do. You can't ever say never. I mean, it's possible, right? It's, it is possible. I'm not going to deny that it's not possible, (laughs) but I, I, I think there's a possibility. I mean, a lot of people also claim to be, you know, somebody famous Mm -hmm. or somebody so, you know, profound like this for their own personal gain, unfortunately, and, you know, or a charlatan or whatever. But yeah, I think it is definitely possible that there might be, you know, I mean, they think that, uh, you know, like Buddha's continuing to be reincarnated Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, continues to live on in different people and things like that. So yeah, it's definitely possible. Uh, yeah. I mean, maybe his soul's mission wasn't done yet. I mean, he was clearly, Right. burned for what he believed maybe he needed to come back and take care of some unfinished business yeah well, when you think about what you know bruno borges did to his room i mean that's impressive it is it's i really... mean you can't discount him and be like oh it's all fake or this has been mainly spread across the internet now as a hoax yeah it really has which is just untrue and because people can't translate the articles that really tell the truth about it that They have no idea. Well, and people don't understand what he's actually writing Mm -hmm. and what the true meaning behind all of it is. Mm -hmm. And if you don't understand that, then you could just look at him like he's fucking out of his mind. Mm -hmm. You know, he's just writing a bunch of gibberish everywhere just to get noticed and get famous. But I truly don't believe that's the case with him. But anyway, Bruno Borges is missing at this point. 
and his family has no idea where he could have gone. Uh, so, and they don't understand how he got this statue into his room because it's a big ass statue. Yeah, it's so, huge. Someone must have helped him. Yeah, and that's what we'll find out is he did have some help with that. But the police are then called to come in and start investigating. The you know the parents are like, "Where's Bruno? Mm-hmm. We can't get a hold of him. He's not answering his phone." Um, he had, he had a cell phone with him or maybe he left it behind, but he was not answering it. So the police get there and they start looking around and stuff. And to them, it becomes very, very obvious that Bruno disappeared on his own accord because Mm -hmm. there's no, you know, he was last seen at his house. So was there signs of a struggle? Was there signs of abduction? Was he kidnapped? There is there signs of a crime of, of any sort? And there just isn't in this case. Well, a lot of people at the time were thinking alien abduction. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. Well, based on mm-hmm. yeah, what's in there. I mean, was his room like a you know part of calling card or yeah. some way to mm-hmm. call him down? Mm-hmm. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> the police are looking around the house and looking around clearly Bruno's room, trying to figure out if they can get any clues about where he went. I think you'd be able to find at least one clue in that fucking room. Oh, they found some clues, but it was only to his work. And once they got a hold of the keys that the sister found, they actually started to be able to crack it. And actually what's funny is he left the key for his code on his keyboard. He had mm-hmm. little uh, kind of set it tape written over it because when he typed all this shit out, he had to, you know, remember, you know, what code was for which letter. Mm-hmm. And so it's just a basic substitution. There's nothing mm-hmm. like really that complex about it. And I like think people language. Or anything. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. He just kind of attached some symbols to different letters and then typed out a bunch of shit mm-hmm. uh, that way. So they were able to uh, decode one of the tiles of the books that he had in there. And it was called the theory of the absorption of knowledge. That's that sounds interesting. Actually, I keep thinking when I was researching this, I'm like, God, I would love to just like interview him and like, Oh, I know. Talk to him. I feel like it would be friends with him. Yeah, have some deep have talks to say. Oh yeah. Oh, well, I'm sure podcast, he would. would love to see him interviewed. Yeah, absolutely. But in one of the other 14 books that he had written, the police or the media were not sure who exactly cracked it, but they were able to decipher. They were actually able to decipher a small paragraph in one of the books. And this paragraph is called hard way. And it reads for thousands of years, the human being has been trying to find answers to questions such as what is the meaning of life? Mm -hmm. The philosophy that seems to have begun with the tales of Miletus in the middle of 700 BCE aims to find traces of unanswered questions. The deep search for absolute truth comes from philosophy. And when we talk about easier, difficult paths, we are referring to this type of theorem. It's easy to accept what you've been taught since childhood and what is wrong. It is difficult when you are an adult to understand that you have been taught wrongly since you suspected that you were correct. In other words, if you fit into some of the stimuli of the environment, you determined a certain behavior making you at the mercy of a well-established and established beliefs and dogmas and rituals with a concentrated mass of people in it. I think that's pretty spot on. I think so too. Absolutely or allowing you to conform accepting the concept of happiness and the meaning of life embedded in the media and society, then clearly you are a part of the easy path to the quest for absolute truth. Does it fit the second option? That is the one who suspected every set of beliefs that was rooted to him, that this one has everything to be an investigator of the truthfulness and the things around him, entering in a more complicated way in which a minority ventures or bravely faces. Wow. 
his his reading and writing yeah, levels like deep. off the charts, man. Like that's that's really deep right there. But also they found out that in his books, he actually wrote about the Illuminati and government control. Mm-hmm. He did. About how there is one government that pulls all the strings in the world behind closed doors. Yeah, and that's something, I mean, we really believe that. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. He woke. Yeah, he Bruno was woke. woke. He was. Because, I mean, that that's a concept that more people need to get through their heads at that that's yeah. how the world works. And if you don't think that that's how the world works, you need to look into <laughs> time to wake up. Start Seriously. with episode one of the mile Heart podcast. But for real look into particularly the federal banking system. We have a podcast on that and the five families we have, I think four podcasts on the five families. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It'll really help you explain this mm-hmm. concept even more. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, even in our last episode, the, a little schoolhouse rock. Seriously. That, that explained yeah. this whole thing kind of too. The episode before last. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. But police began retracing Bruno's steps and where he was last seen. So they knew he had gone to this motel. So they go there. There's no sign of him there. They don't know anything about him. And that's when they discover this area that we talked about before mm-hmm. with the plastic chairs in a circle, which uh, just looks sketchy and weird. Well, <laughs> I mean, to, to somebody that doesn't understand, it looks right. weird. I'm saying to like the average person that just looks like, yeah. what the fuck was happening? Well, here? I mean, there was like remnants of a fire there, so they could have just been sitting around at the campfire. That's true. But I mean, yeah, but they, the red and the white chairs and stuff, it just like looks. I remember watching videos of it and being like, this is so trippy. What mm-hmm. the hell is going on? Yeah. And people confirmed that, you know, people that were in the area confirmed that this was an area where there was, you know, rituals and prayers that happened there or whatever. So. But what's interesting is that the last known footage that we have of Bruno comes from some CCTV footage, which shows him running in the direction of his own home on March 28th, 2017. So literally the next day he's seen last seen on camera running and he's running towards his house, apparently in the direction of his house, but he doesn't have a backpack on and stuff. So like where'd the bag go? Yeah. Where the hell did he go? We still don't know where he went. That's what's so weird. And so but from this and from all the evidence and the lack thereof uh, evidence of a crime, the police are pretty sure that, you know, he's 23, 24 years old. He's allowed to go off he left on, on his, his own. own yeah. mm-hmm. There was no sign of foul play whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And in doing their investigation, they also located the artist responsible for the sculpture in his room. And this guy was named Jorge Rivasplata. And he told police that he created the statue for Bruno because he believed that Bruno was in fact the reincarnated version of the philosopher Giordano Bruno. And he even gave him a discount on the statue. Yeah, 2700 bucks. He's like, I like you. I like your mission. Yeah. I'll give mm-hmm. you a discount. Mm-hmm. So he got a discount on it. And then he helped him move it into the room half mm-hmm. finished. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's how they got it in there. They didn't bring the whole thing in right, there. Yeah, it's way too big. Way too big. Way too hard to do that. And apparently the statue is filled with foam, cement, wood, and gravel. So it was way too heavy to remove from the room at this point. Like once he put it in there, it's going to be in there forever. (laughs) Yeah, seriously. So it's clear that Bruno was planning to make this whole installation and have it be there for till the end. His parents are like, dude, did you think about resale? (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) seriously. (laughs) What are we going to do when we got to sell this house? Yeah. Yeah, that's funny. But nobody knew where he was. None of the people that he you know, had been in contact with, knew where he went. And they also discovered in their investigation that Bruno had visited a local dressmaker and had ordered up three white robes, 
much like the ones in the paintings in his room, the one of the guy mm-hmm. with the lantern holding it, that the symbols kind of on the slouchy, back. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then the alien picture, he's wearing a yep, white robe yeah, in that yep. as well. So he orders these three white robes from the dressmaker and she's like, dude, what do you need these for? Is it for church or something? And he said, almost that interesting. So to me, right yeah. off the bat, I'm thinking this is for some type of ritual clearly. Yeah. And it also, I think means this is spiritual to me in a way, like it's kind of like church to him in a way. It's his yeah, belief. The, right. Exactly. It's going to be used for serious use. It's not a costume or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And when they went and interviewed his friends, they also confirmed the existence of the robe, but told police that they didn't know about the project itself. Although he believed the reason of his disappearance was to spotlight his work while evading or meditating, quote unquote. So we're starting to, you know, put the pieces together and the police are clearly starting to realize that potentially his disappearance was staged Mm -hmm. in order to bring attention to all of this work he just put in over the past you know, 20 some days. It's kind of smart though. I mean, it is a good way to get attention. Not that it's good to do this. No one should do this. It's not a good, it's like a waste of police resources, obviously, but I can see what his thinking would be. Not that he for sure thought that. I don't know if he disappeared for that reason though. Like, was that his intention was to get all this attention to it? Right. Or did he leave for another spiritual reason? And it could be a combination too. Mm -hmm. It could be a, multiple things that led him to and that's i think what ends up happening but a lot of people thought that you know because his work was just seemingly unnecessary to some and you know what was the purpose behind it some people thought he just had like a psychotic breakdown and then you know he did all that shit then just took off Mm -hmm. so but i don't think his parents ever really thought he was like having a psychotic breakdown obviously like people out there you know who saw this might've thought that, but his parents were like, this is pretty much who Bruno is. Yeah, he's this he's odd guy. Uh, they said that during a, the rest of y'all. Yeah, exactly. They said that he had an imaginary friend as a child named Tomate, which was a pillow. And at one point his family had consulted a doctor in order to see if like he had some sort of mental disorders, but his diagnosis was normal. So he's never been diagnosed with any sort of mental mm-hmm. Uh, disorder or disease or anything like that. It's just wicked smart. Yeah. And he actually spent most of his teenage years studying Reiki extensively. And apparently he became a master of it. And in his room, you can find Reiki some symbology all over the place. How, I wonder how he became a master. Did he like go and actually take courses? I don't think you can just like become a master on your own. Yeah. Well, I mean, maybe he, you know, practice Reiki on others and, you know, I think is probably self-taught probably a lot of reading, a lot of him educating himself. But I mean, we don't really know exactly how he got that title, but it could just even be his parents saying that he mastered it, you know, just because he read so much about it and stuff, he became a master of it. We don't really know. And if you don't know, Reiki is energy healing. Mm -hmm. You should look it up if you're interested. Mm -hmm. But at this point, everybody's kind of just speculating, you know, different theories about what happened to him. You know, we said maybe he was abducted by aliens Mm -hmm. or a lot of people thought he may have joined a cult or something like that. Like he got the robe, you know, in order to go join a cult or something. But Mm -hmm. that's really the only evidence there is to support, you know, he went somewhere. And plus, I feel like the police probably would have been able to track him down uh, if if that was the case. But, you know, there's literally no sign of him. And the police pretty much stopped their investigation because the more they dug into this, they actually uncovered some of Bruno's personal belongings at the home of one of his friends. 
And, you know, they, it was pretty clear to them that this disappearance was staged. So they kind of, yeah, stopped looking for him and was like, hey, your son took off and he has every right to take off. So there's nothing else we can do. Mm-hmm. And obviously the family is upset by this. They wanted more help looking for him mm-hmm. because they, they we as far as we know, didn't is. know where he right. went. Yeah. So I understand that. Yeah, absolutely. So a week or two later, on April 10th, 2017, a post popped up on the website Pastebin containing a bunch of binary code, which is just a bunch of ones and zeros all Mm -hmm. in a bunch of lines. And if you translate that, apparently this binary said, hello, my name is Bruno de Melo Silva Borges, and I'm 24 years old, and I'm a psychologist, and I am very smart. I left 14 books with messages with different letters. The answer will be revealed on April 14th, 2017 at 17 hours. So stay tuned. The statue I bought and left in my room. I left the room all white and wrote many things. Good in this, number 3301. Now what's interesting is that number 3301 goes back to the Cicada 3301 logo, which was found in his room. He had actually put that up there. And if you don't know what Cicada 3301 is, it's a nickname for an organization that has posted mm-hmm. sets of puzzles out there in order to recruit code breakers from the public and join their their organization that we have. But we don't really know anything about them or who they are or anything. And then apparently on that date specified in the post, April 14th, 2017 at 17 hours, the Cicada website actually changed and included a new MP3 file named Bruno. And apparently this file was just like some adventurous music playing. No, no lyrics, no nothing, just some adventurous music playing. And then it stops abruptly at timestamp 536666, which many people thought was a clue. Now, when you actually search 536666, it pulls up a MasterCard issued in Brazil. So weird coincidence. I don't know. And plus, we don't even know if Bruno actually posted these or not. This is just this could just be people, you know, trying to get in on it. Yeah. Fucking around and, you know, but it was actually from the Cicada website, right? Mm hmm. So I don't know what that would be unless he's somehow involved with them or working for them or they saw his work. And so this was kind of a tribute to him. Potentially they liked what he had done. That's possible. And they just put like to encourage his adventure, his journey. Like this is cool. Yeah. I can see that. Yeah. And then shortly after the cicada thing, a new YouTube account popped up called Bruno Giordano. And it had this one video on it. That's interesting uh, for a long time. do you think of that i mean it sounds really creepy and scary but i feel like it could have been someone that was just trying to get in on all of this and posted that photo with that sound just because it sounds scary and you can make people think something is a creepy situation like any a lot of people like to do that and see people freak out so i don't know if i would necessarily think that that's bruno yeah i don't i I don't 
think it's him or created by him, but it, it's definitely interesting. I think it is something to do with uh, meditation or yeah. um, some type of chanting or reciting some type of it's ritual, chanting, yeah. uh, something like that. Cause the imagery in it is all these esoteric symbols and also the title of the video is just like a bunch of random numbers all in a row. So it's definitely like coded uh, very interesting because in the description box, there's this message and it's written in uh, random caps and upper cases. And it says directly and indirectly consciously and unconsciously either way the magnum opus has been accomplished through the practice of the absorptive capacity theory an inevitable large-scale chemical reaction exponentially decreased numbers of awakened people exponentially increases the mass of people who are sleeping the truth enlightens you and not the opposite the observer is the observed be the spectator to get ready is a meaning your intuition is the next step remind the future nothing is by chance to understand is to transform what is in every man in each individual, a world, a universe regards itself. So that's a very cryptic and yeah. woke message right there. Well, it's like, what does it actually mean though? What is, what is it trying to tell you? It doesn't really give you anything other than just say inspiring, interesting things. I think it's clearly uh, encouraging people to wake up and seek out the truth and, you know, look at, yeah. What's hidden? No, definitely. I just, there's not anything really specific in here. It's just pretty general. Right. Other than this magnum opus. So magnum opus has to do with alchemy and it's a term for the process of working with prima materia to create the philosopher's stone. So this is interesting because this kind of connects at the end and it's been used to describe personal and spiritual transmutation in the hermetic tradition Attached to laboratory processes and chemical color changes. It has been used to describe personal and spiritual transmutation in the hermetic tradition. Attached to the laboratory processes and chemical color changes. Used as a model for the individuation process. And as a device in art. What? <laughs> I'm still confused. The shit, the shit is very, very cryptic. It's, it's so alchemy dealing with magic. So a philosopher's stone, like from Harry Potter, do you remember the philosopher's stone? No. So, or no, I'm sorry. It wasn't the philosopher's stone in Harry Potter. It was a sorcerer's stone. I was going to say, Jesus I remember Christ. the sorcerer's stone. You're about to get ripped. <laughs> oh, philosopher's stone. I was no, but say. the philosopher, yeah. So the philosopher's stone is essentially a magic stone that can change the, you know, change metals into gold. And it's also called the elixir of life. So it gives you the ability to, you know, rejuvenate the body and extend your life. Uh, but it's a, it's a magical stone uh, that alchemists would work with. Well, I guess I take it back because that's pretty important. right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is very important. And it's interesting because this will come up here at, at the end of this story. Uh, so it makes me believe that that YouTube channel could have potentially been uh, Bruno. And well, maybe he did set it live or like upload scheduled it, and, it. Yeah. Scheduled it. That's what I think he did. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. And then on April 21st, 2017, another message appeared in the pastebin and it said, quote unquote, I'm living in caves. Please do not disturb, which is interesting because it's starting to make me think, well, maybe this is Bruno posting these messages, but then again, it might be somebody else or a friend or yeah. somebody doing it for him. Well, I think a lot of people were assuming that if he was out hiding somewhere, it'd probably be in the caves. So yeah. I mean, again, I'm not sure if that was actually him. Right. 
And then on May 2nd, 2017 on 4chan actually, so another site, and I don't, I don't know what I think about this, but it says uh, it was in a thread about the hunt for Bruno Borges. And there's a comment on the thread saying, I'm here, man. I came to the force and now I'm living right here. There are very bad people even behind me. I disappear to protect myself. They will never catch me. I will be giving news to this threat. Now I'm living in Portugal where no one will remember to look for me. Nah, that's not him. I don't think Plus, that's everything him on 4chan is like bullshit. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a lot of bullshit on there for sure. And then at one point, I guess a psychic tried to channel in on Bruno. Mm-hmm. And apparently, this is very interesting, but the psychic said Bruno was contacted by tall whites, oh. which is a species of extraterrestrial aliens. And apparently, the encounter was pleasant with them, but it's what led to his mission because he actually contacted the tall whites from his bedroom. So everything he did in there allowed him to connect with the extraterrestrials. I don't know. I think that's a bit reaching there. I don't know. I don't know about that. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I have no idea. I highly doubt it. But I don't know. Maybe not. Yeah. And there's not a lot of information about the psychic or who, mm-hmm. you know, how this all went down. That's the hard thing with about yeah, this is I don't that know. I'm very is, skeptical with psychics. Honestly, yeah. I believe that some people are psychic, but I just a lot of them out there. I don't know. Sometimes they're proven to be wrong. Oftentimes. Yeah. Right. Most of the time. Now, this is interesting. Another theory emerges for his disappearance. And, and this is what I truly believe uh, is the reason for his disappearance. And that is because of the hermetic tradition. So he was in this process of initiation uh, into hermeticism, which is really a philosophy on the universe and life and uh, could even be considered a religion to some. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been carried on over, over generations, but it goes way, way, way back to you know the Egyptians and even before that. And we'll, we got to do a whole episode on it because it's very complex and, and hard to explain without diving too deep into mm-hmm. it. But essentially, Bruno was kind of on this journey for enlightenment in in a lot of ways. He was seeking what's called a cosmic mind. And with a cosmic mind, you're able to take and project powers onto other things and beings. And you can actually project your body anywhere in the universe and world, as well as speak to gods and angels. And this is just one interpretation of this. But Bruno actually said that he could astral project. He could, you know, have out of body experiences and, you know, through this knowledge that he had learned, he could go all over the place and he could, you know, see other places. I fully believe that, especially with how much time he was dedicating to this stuff. And Mm -hmm. he must have figured out how to eventually do that. Mm -hmm. And so in order to sort of initiate yourself and become, you know, a true hermeticist, you have to go through this initiation period and really dedicate yourself to it. But essentially, he read this book called uh, by Giordano Bruno called and the Hermetic Tradition. So he read this book all about Giordano. So he read this book about Giordano and he really thought he was Giordano. So he felt like he had to go through this initiation Mm -hmm. process and essentially go on this spiritual journey and of like awakening. Yeah, of awakening and really, truly coming into the full power of who he really was is a very simplified version of what he was doing. So months go by and the family has no idea where he is. He's gone. Nobody's really looking for him at this point. 
everybody kind of believes that he took off on this, you know, spiritual journey and that perhaps he'd be back one day, but you know, life went on, the family continued to, you know, go on with their life. They celebrated their, you know, holidays and birthdays and stuff, you know, always missing him and definitely was hard, you know, to have him away. They seem like a very close family and they really love their Bruno. So but they were also close with him. So I feel like they must've had an underlying feeling of hope. Like maybe he'll return. Would he just abandon them forever? You know, he did love his family. They know that he's smart, that he is serious about what he's doing, that he's probably, you know, taking whatever he's doing pretty seriously as well. Right. And he'll probably return. I mean, yeah. they're hoping at least. Yeah. And well, they're hoping paid off because Bruno did return after four months and 14 days missing. There was actually surveillance footage showing him coming home on August 11th at 5.22 a.m. And it shows him barefoot ringing the doorbell of his house, but nobody answers. And he ends up waiting there for an hour until one of his neighbors appears and then ends up calling his father directly. And at that point, his dad comes to the door, opens the door and says, Bruno, you're home. So he's like ringing the doorbell and the dad's just not answering. Like yeah. your son's missing. What if it's him? I know. I don't know. I guess it, it was early. It was 522 AM. So maybe they just, just weren't awake. Or, okay. That's possible. Yeah. Maybe he doesn't want to alarm them too much. No, because his dad was super happy to have him home. His whole family was. His dad said it was the best Father's Day gift he could ever receive. Oh, that's sweet. And yeah, they were really happy to have him home. And then eight days later, Bruno Borges went on television actually and did an interview where obviously, you know, he got some media attention for this because, you know, his room had gone viral. So now the mystery man returns and they ask him, you know, dude, where'd you go? Why'd you, why'd you leave? What's your room all about? And apparently, you know, we only have a few excerpts from the actual interview. I couldn't even find the video of it anywhere online. It's not on YouTube or anything. And plus it'd be in Portuguese. So, why did no other like news outlets pick this up? I don't up know. I'm so because I think everybody story. just discounted this whole story and said this is all yeah, hoax for fame for mm-hmm. and screw this guy deal. Right. Yeah. Screw this guy. We're not going to give him any attention. But I don't know. I, I think this is like a story of of true spiritual awakening happening. Mm-hmm. And it's a really cool story because he said he disappeared and went into isolation in order to seek something, a truth within me that I needed to find. But he wouldn't say where he went. So where the fuck was he for four months and how did he survive? What if he was like at like a four seasons? (laughs) That's what I was about to say. What if he's just like chilling (laughs) on the beach? (laughs) Yeah, he's like, well, here's a theory. It only cost 2700 for the statue. So he had some extra money with him, I think, but he may have left it. I don't know that's kind of unclear, but it's possible he had enough money with him to go like live in a hostel or something. for four months. I doubt it. I doubt it. I bet he actually went out and lived Lived in a cave. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think so, especially when he says, especially when he goes on to say, I did all of this with the main purpose of encouraging people to acquire knowledge. And as you can see, people began to acquire knowledge through this. We can see that it worked. And he went on to say that he went on a mystic journey of the soul. And he said he had to isolate himself from everybody because he felt like society was sick and he needed to. Yeah, true that. And he needed to focus on himself in order to discover the true purpose of, of life. And I can see how you would need that. Mm-hmm. I wish I could disappear for four months and like find myself. Uh, Don't I feel we like all we all need, need that. that? Yeah. yeah. Disappear. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> that, no, don't do that. I would be worried about you. 
Okay, thanks. I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> I'll go live in a cave in the Colorado mountains. You would not make it in a I cave. I would love to see it. It would not be good. Dude, a bear would maul my ass. It would be bad. <laughs> I'm not very fast. Yeah. Plus, you wouldn't even know what to eat. No, no, and I cannot kill animals. There's no way. I would just starve and die. Or you'd eat some poisonous berries or something. <laughs> just be yeah, found. Yeah, probably. <laughs> wow. Thanks, babe. I have a lot of faith in you, clearly. Yeah, clearly. <laughs> But anyways, back to the philosopher's stone for a second. Bruno Borges was quoted as saying, I had notion that the philosopher's stone was within the dark land. So I went after entering this dark land to find it. In the same way that the hero enters a cave to kill a dragon and that Jonas entered a whale, I also dived into the sea of the unconscious in order to rescue me. Fucking mm. deep. That's that some is deep, deep shit right there. I, I love like that. that. Love that. But you know what? Cynical observer said, nah, boy, it's just about your book. Because mm-hmm. his book actually got published because his dad was like, if I publish his books, maybe he'll come home. And it's kind of what happened. Yeah. His book oh. went for sale and it did really well. The uh, absorption theory book mm-hmm. uh, ended up being on the nonfiction bestseller list in Brazil. Well, maybe because it's a good book. Right. It's not it, just because he went missing. No. And it sold 20,000 books on the first run and then 10,000 copies uh, were being sold. But I don't know. I don't really see how this was this elaborate marketing scheme that everybody makes it out to be like. It wouldn't be worth the amount no. of money at the end. No, he didn't even make that much money. No. Plus, he even had contracts with his friends to give them proceeds from the book sales. Yeah, yeah. He wanted everyone to benefit from it. Right. So mm-hmm. to me, this is clearly about his spiritual journey and his. Mm-hmm. You don't become a Reiki master just so you can like get some weird book deal. And, you know, he, would, he put in yeah. hella work into this. There's yeah. no way. He just did this. And it's not like he was going to get rich. It's not selling. It's not New York Times bestseller. This is 20,000 copies at first. Yeah, this is Brazil top seller. Yeah, Yeah. right. So So it's not like, yeah, it's not like New York Times bestseller, millions of dollars. That much money. No. Right. Yeah. So a lot of people think that he should have been locked up for this and for leading people astray and having the police spend all this time on him. Well, he didn't make them do that. He didn't say, come look for me. He didn't stage it as if he was murdered. It's not like he left like blood on the ground and like tried to make it look like he was in harm. He just left. You're not allowed to do that. Yeah. I was going to say, which he had every right to just leave. Yeah. Yeah. That's what the police said too. They're like, there's no evidence of a crime committed here and you're allowed to leave on your own accord. If you're 24 years old, you're allowed to do some weird shit in your room. Yeah, exactly. So that's exactly what he did. And, you know, I'm I'm on the side that I believe that he is this type of visionary, I, you know, of our time. Too. And I think truly people just I'm making jokes, but truly yeah. I do. People just assume that like, what, we can never have another philosopher again. Like, what the hell? I know. What? Yeah. Wh- why are philosophers like all of a sudden gone? Or when you say you're studying philosophy, people are like, okay, like, well, even back then, though, like a lot of people when listening to philosophers, certain ones would be like, you're crazy or yeah. you're, you know, a devil worshiper. Burn you at the stake. Yeah. yeah. It doesn't so, make any sense. I mean, what's changed? We still don't take people that think big or differently. Seriously. Mm hmm. Yeah, it's really sad because if we all, you know, thought outside of the box a little bit more no, we'd be in and a lot better place opened right our now. eyes a little bit wider and took a look at the world a little bit differently, mm-hmm. imagine the world we'd be in. It'd be a different world. Different world. So, yeah, I'm, I'm a fan. I'm a fan of Bruno. I stand. <laughs> I, I, stand. I stand Bruno. I stand Bruno. Bruno, stand. In his room, 
I believe is still up the way it is. I think it's like an actual well, yeah. full blown. Like, like we said, you ain't getting that statue exhibit. out of there. And God, how cringy would that be for him to like watch people paint <laughs> over his like days yeah, and days no. of weeks of work? Absolutely not. <laughs> that shit staying there forever. Yeah. That's so cool. Imagine finding that like 300 years from now and they're like, Oh, what were they trying to tell us back <sighs> then? Yeah, that's true. It will be there for a long time. I'm maybe, sure I'm unless the sure. building gets torn down, but <laughs> yeah, something could happen. I don't know. Maybe we'll get to visit one day. That'd be cool. Yeah. I would like to check it out. Are, are they like meet letting people into the house though? Or are they like, I think so. Yeah. I think he like shows people his work and he's continuing working on his huh. books and he's a full blown like philosopher. philosopher. Absolutely. Wow. And he believes he's Giordano Bruno. Maybe he is. Maybe he's not. Well, let us know what you guys think. Definitely. In the comments. And yeah, that wraps it up this week. Yeah, that's it. That's the story of Bruno Borges. But hopefully you guys enjoyed this episode of the Malhar podcast. I know it's a little bit different than, you know, some of the usual stuff we cover, but we'll be back next week with a real true crime case mm -hmm. uh, that we will be diving deep into for sure. So yes, that's one's going to be long. Oh, yeah. But be sure you guys are subscribed to us on YouTube and on Spotify and iTunes. And yeah, leave us a rating review, too, if you feel like it. But yeah, we will see you guys next week. Be sure to stay safe. And stay woke. We'll see you guys next time. <laughs>